You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. We're going to be in Psalms today as we continue our Bible in a year. My name's Dean. I'm the pastor here at City Church. Thanks for joining us in the rain. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, That's like extra love God juice for you uh, that you come to church in the rain. Now, um, I want to make sure we acknowledge a pretty big deal that's happening, and that is we have a lot of our students who are graduating from FSU. Uh, If that's maybe this week, this weekend, next couple days, I'm not sure the schedule all works. Uh, If you're graduating, will you stand up and be recognized? We're grateful for all you've done here at City Church and how you've been a part of this. Awesome. Congratulations to all of you. Also, welcome to the families who are here to celebrate graduation. Also, baptism this morning. Uh, so awesome uh, to see Elijah get baptized out in the hallway afterwards. You can probably hear me. I'm so excited. He said, I just can't stop smiling. And I said, man, that's what it's all about. You know, and he said that uh, he, he believed that this was more important than any game he'll ever play in, anything that he'll ever do outside of this. And that's true for all of us, that our relationship with Christ, our commitment to Jesus is Lord, following him. Like, that's the most important thing possibly about us for all of us. If you've never been baptized before, I would love for you to make that profession public. It doesn't make you a Christian or anything like that, uh, but it allows you to follow the scriptures in obedience and make your profession of faith known uh, before your church. It's also a symbolism of your new life in Christ. Uh, Just an awesome thing. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we will jump into the book of Psalms as we're doing the Bible in a year, doing overview books of every book of the Bible between now and the end of 2021. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful uh, for your word that you've given to us. What an act of grace it is that we have the scriptures. So we ask to be found faithful and be good stewards of that reality, that we have the words of our God. We pray for all the churches in our city today as we realize that we're not alone. And on the same team, that those who believe the good news will proclaim Christ faithfully today and that you will be with them. Thankful for the graduates who are here. I ask you bless their lives, that you allow them to see that the greatest blessing there possibly could be is life with you. And they will live that abundantly with conviction, with kindness, on mission following Jesus for the rest of their lives. Thankful for baptism for Elijah and his story. Lord, we ask you to be with him. Allow him to let his light shine. And we ask that you be with us as we gather here today. I ask that the words I say will be of your truth and not of my opinion, and that we'll be faithful to your great name and your mission. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now, most people believe that, uh, that I've read in terms of scholars and just commentators that the book of Psalms should actually be understood being read all the way through. Like, actually, yeah, you can read it isolated, like, that's fine, uh, but actually the best way to understand it, like, it was written intentionally 1 through 150. Uh, So we're going to do today is we're going to read through every word of the book of Psalms, starting in chapter, I'm just kidding, sorry, so, but but you're like, oh my, I'm out. But, and here's where it begins in chapter 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. This is intentionally the first words of this great book of the Bible. Instead, and there's a contrast, there's an opposite here. His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So either you're going to be walking in the pathway with sinners, or you're going to be someone who's delighting in God's word. And he says the difference in those two people, one of them is happiness. He says, how happy. That's why it made me think, that's why I told you that story about Elijah out in the hallway where he said, I'm just so happy. It's like, it's supposed to be that way. Now, our definition of happiness from the scripture should be different than the world's understanding of happiness. 
Because the world's understanding of happiness is just simply like my fulfillment and my you know, personal feeling in the moment of what I want to do. That happiness is very fleeting. It disappears very quickly. He says that he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in, in its season, and its leaves do not wither. As in it lasts. It's not going away. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. There's a difference here, he's saying. Watch that contrast over and over again. He says instead they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Changes all the time. What's considered happy today is different than what's happy tomorrow. What's considered the right thing to say today often in our world is the wrong thing tomorrow. He says, therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There's already a gospel glimpse there of telling us our inability, that we can't stand before God. It points us to something else. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. He says here the believer is blessed, that he is happy, esteemed, because of his or her relationship, not just to this as we often see God say, this kind of cosmic and impersonal force called God, rather the opposite, because of his relationship, because of her relationship to God's word, to God's law. We have a living God who has made himself known. He's revealed himself. He has spoken to us by the scriptures. So to know God is not just randomly this imaginary friend, as sadly he's often portrayed to be, but it's to know God through his word. Like, that's how we know God. Where we intimately know God and understand God and walk with God is based on the scriptures. So the Old Testament believers, when this was written, would pour over the scriptures to learn more about God. To learn God's character. They would learn of him through his mighty works of redemption. How he had led the people out of Egypt. How he had parted the Red Sea. How he had kept his promise to his people that he would liberate them and make them his own. They would hear about God's faithfulness over and over again. So we could say that even though Psalms is a collection of songs, it's definitely a hymn book. Before it's any of that, it's an instruction book. It's an instruction to God's people in their relationship with him that also plays out through songs. And these believers would write and they would sing together. Now the Psalms are broken up into five different books. And the first book really is the establishment of God's kingdom. We see how it plays out about what God has done, what he has created, what he has made. And the second book we see really these ideas of pointing to a Messiah, of pointing to a deliverer. We see how the covenant of David as it transfers to Solomon gives us the hope of the Messiah that is to come to liberate God's people, to answer how they actually can stand before the righteous one. And then book three of Psalm 89 is really to the end of three. He a they ask us some honest questions. Like, hey, we know that our God is great and we know that our God is loving, but where are you, Lord? And where is your great love? Like, where is your faithfulness? Because they were at a crisis point. The days of exile, the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, where there was no king, and they're going, hey, we've been promised that one of our descendants would always sit on the throne, but there's no throne, and there's no king. So they ask this question, how long, Lord? Like, will you hide forever? Like, we're seeing the 
the judgment of our sin all around us, will your anger keep burning like fire? Like, is that our future? We've been told forever that you have a plan for us and that you have a promise you've given us and that we're your people, but, but how, how does that play out? Verse 49, Lord, where are the former acts of your faithful love that you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, Lord, the ridicule against your servants, and in my heart I carry abuse from all the peoples, how your enemies have ridiculed, Lord, how they have ridiculed every step of your anointed, rather than flourishing as your people or being mocked as your people. Now it's because of their great sin that God warned them about and gave them chances about over and over, but they're going, but, but where is this? And in chapters four and five, or in books four and five, we'll see how to live in the absence of a messianic king. How to live in that reality. See, faith, they're going, well, faith, and in book four they're saying, okay, well, faith says one thing, but our lived experience says something else. So in that case, how do you live? And the answer that's given over and over again is by faith. And not blind faith. Faith in the certain promises of God. So you'll see over and over in this book that you're going to see these words about the Lord reigning. You'll see the Lord reigns over and over again and calling us to live out the scriptures, not to live out our circumstances. And to take the scriptures and the reality of who God is and what he's done for us and to actually play out those promises and all the things that are happening all around us. And it's the same thing as us. Like, we haven't seen Jesus lately. I don't know about you. I've never actually seen him before. We gathered at the Civic Center two weeks ago to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, but I didn't actually see that myself. Many did, thankfully. Over 500 at one time. It changed the course of history. It caused people who once doubted to then go willing, be willing to die martyrs' deaths for their faith. But we physically don't see Jesus right now, so what does that mean for us? It means we walk in faith knowing that the rest of it is going to play out. That God does keep his promises. And he has kept his promises for generations and generations. That we can trust him that one day he will return and make all things new. That everything he promised us will come true. That those who are his, those who are his bride, will get a chance for all eternity to worship him and be with him. Reversing the curse once and for all. Book five itself really gives us kind of the faith that, that has to have the rubber meets the road. Like, what does it mean to actually live out your faith, to live your life proclaiming that Jesus really is Lord, that the confession of your baptism really is the reality of your life? And if you could say kind of the, the heartbeat of the book, the center of the book, there is like, you know, we're the capital city. If there's like a capital of the book of Psalms, like a capital city would be Psalm 119. A significant book for all believers, very, very long, very long chapter of the Bible. Absolutely worth your time to sit down and read through it. And here's what he says. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. I'm a resident alien on earth. As in my loyalties aren't from here. So don't hide your commandments from me. Like that's his answer. I'm living in a world that's not my own. God, please give me your word. That's, that's what I need. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes. And I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction. And I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. 
Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. See, delighting in God's word and delighting in what God has said is going to lead us to live lives that respond to the goodness of God. And yes, we fail in those attempts. Yes, we don't actually obey it with all of our heart. And the rest, many Psalms are talking about that. Are going, I've failed here, but you are faithful. I've messed up here, but you are good. I have sinned against you, but you are faithful and loving and compassionate to forgive. Maybe the theme verse of the whole chapter, and maybe even I'm taking a liberty here, but the whole book of Psalms. Your word is a lamp from my feet and a light on my path. That that's what your word is. Your word really is what allows me to live my life, as he said earlier, as a resident alien on this earth. To know who you are, to know what you've done, to know your promises, to know what you've called me to. All these things in the book of Psalms. J.C. Ryle, theologian, said this, you live in a world where your soul is in constant danger. Your soul. Enemies are around you on every side. Your own heart is deceitful. That's what the scriptures tell us. Bad examples are numerous. Satan, who's a real being, is always laboring to lead you astray. Above all, false doctrine and false teachers of every kind abound. This is your great danger. And to be safe, you must be well armed. You must provide yourself with the weapons which God has given you for your help. You must store your mind, here's the weapon, he says, with Holy Scripture. This is to be well armed. Arm yourself with a thorough knowledge of the written word of God. Read your Bible regularly. Become familiar with your Bible. Neglect your Bible and nothing that I know of can prevent you from error if a plausible advocate of false teaching shall happen to meet you. Make it a rule to believe nothing except it can be proved from Scripture. The Bible alone is infallible. Do you really use your Bible as much as you ought? What a sobering question. There are many today who believe the Bible, but just don't read it very often. I mean, does your conscience right now tell you that maybe you're one of those people? And the answer is to not be judged or to feel guilty, but to start reading. And not just read for the sake of reading, but read because that's where God is. That's where we understand him. That's where he has given us his word. That's where relationship with him actually happens. The God who is holy and perfect, who made and created all the people of this world. We have rebelled against him. We said, God, no thanks. I don't want you. I want what I want instead. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I want the created, not the creator. And since you are a holy God, you can't let sin go unpunished, and you won't let sin go unpunished. But you're also a merciful and a gracious God who loves your people, and you're perfect, who had never sinned, never violated your law, son, Jesus Christ, died a death in our place that we deserved to make us right with you, to pay the penalty of death that is due because of our sin. He shed his blood instead of us, and then rose from the grave three days later, proving once and for all he was the one he claimed to be. He was raised for our justification. As a result, we are declared righteous, not because of anything we have done, because the righteousness of Christ has been given to us. How do we know any of what I just said? The scriptures. When you were a little kid, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the, for the Bible tells me so. 
from the best theology you'll ever learn. There's that old book, Everything I Need to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten or something like that that came out a while back, a couple decades ago. Much of what I need to learn about the Lord in the early steps, you learn through song. You learn through song. And here are these songs, these, these written words as an instruction to us of why we should worship God, of who he actually is and what he's done for us. Back to the, your word is a lamp to my feet, a, a light to my feet, a light to my path. We want to see the psalmist picture here. Like he has to travel. Scripture regularly pictures kind of life with God as a journey. Uh, he was in the dark. He was unable to see his way to go. And as a result, he was bound to either get lost or to get hurt or to go the wrong, you'll go the wrong way if he advanced blindly. That was going to happen. And this pictures our natural ignorance of God's will for our lives, our inability to guess it, and the certainty of the practice that we're probably going to miss it altogether. But a lamp, I mean, think of a flashlight. Like, it, it's been handed to him. Now he can pick out the path before him and go step by step and stick to that path, even though darkness still surrounds him. This picture is what God's word does for us, showing us really how to live. When I moved into a new house back in the summer, our family, one of the big adjustments that's underrated you have to make when you move, this is like first world problems, but one of the adjustments you have to make is now having to navigate from your bed to the bathroom in the middle of the night, right? Because at your old house, you know the way, right? So I think I went down with like four stubbed toes and, and three bumped knees, like the first, you know, you're like, man, you go to the bathroom at night a lot. I do, you know, I'm gonna get that checked out, but, uh, but the, but the reality is it was dark and I wasn't used to it. I didn't know how to kind of feel my way towards the bathroom. Now I can get there like it's nothing. Because I've lived there for a while. And I've, you know the walk you do, it's just like so awkward. You kind of feel around as you walk at night. Well, here's the good news. We are supposed to be people who are living in a house that we're not familiar with. Which is this world. And God's for his people has given us his scriptures to help us direct our path along the way. And for some of us too, we're too familiar with this world and too familiar with the path. And as a result, we need to get on a new path that God's word directs us to over and over again. In Psalm 146 through 149, towards the end of the book, we see a great doxology. where We see hallelujah, praise Yah is the word used which is praise Yahweh. Hallelujah means praise God, praise Yahweh. And then in Psalm 150, the final chapter of the book, we see 13 times the different usage of the understanding to praise the Lord. That's the conclusion of the book, 13 different usages, either hallelujah or just simply praise the Lord, because that's the conclusion, like that's the summary of everything that this book is going to talk about. It points us towards the praise of God for who he is and what he's done. So in Psalms, we're going to see things like petition to God, praise to God, laments, like a, a crying out and, and really displeasure and mourning. We're going to see songs of praise. See, the psalmist articulates both the difficulties of living in a very fallen world, but also the eternal truths and the joy of God's character. So we see really a dominant prayer in the Psalms are prayers of distress. 
where things just aren't going well and they cry out to God rather than run from him. And, and lots of the Psalms are, are really concluded after that happens by statements and confidence in the God who alone can save and the God who alone is faithful. So you see this distress and this crying out and hurt, then it resolves itself over and over again in the goodness and remembrance of who God is. Tim Keller's pastor in New York wrote this. There are other prayers in the Bible, but no other place where you have an entire course of theology in prayer form and no other place where you have every possible heart condition represented along with the way to process that situation before God. There's really kind of three main types of psalms. The first one I'm just going to call hymns. Just hymns. Like life is going awesome in the hymns. Like, yay God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. Like life is gracious. Like praise God. Like, like praise him. Look at the mountains. Praise God. Look at the oceans. Praise God. Look at how you've delivered a people for yourself. Praise God. Then we get to areas of darkness. The second kinds that are called laments. And the context here is how long, Lord? Like how long is this going to happen? Not only how long, but why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Why is this happening to our family? Like wh wh where are you? How long, why, and where? The third one are psalms of thanksgiving, which are things that he's done in our personal history, and we'll get to that one in a minute, kind of personal testimony. But the reality is that a lot of us have had to live the psalms. We say regularly that, it, that the Bible is ultimately about God, not about us. And that's very true. It's God's story more than it's our story. But that doesn't mean it isn't about us at all. I mean, much of the psalms, we could say, are... They're ultimately about God, be not mistaken, but they're made majorly about us. And they're majorly for us and our story. Some of you had to live this out. I mean, how many of you can have ever had to agree with this from Psalm 88, verse 18? Darkness is my only friend. That's Psalm 88. Darkness is my only friend. How many of you have been able to have, have had to, when you read those words, go, man, I've been there. It's cancer. Maybe your parents' divorce. Maybe betrayal. A miscarriage. Failed plans. We'll just go on and on. Early death. Depression anxiety that you can't even figure how to bear it. Darkness seems to be your only friend. The only thing you can relate to in that moment. John Calvin wrote that one can study the depths of the human soul in the Psalms. Why? Because the authors bear it out over and over again. But here's the good news for us, and what it is about us. Ellie Holcomb is a great singer-songwriter. She wrote, come as you are to a really good God and remind your soul of how good he is. 
Now that can be hard to do when you're in darkness and darkness is your only friend. But the Psalms aren't apologizing or denying the reality that trouble is normal, that darkness is possible. But it also shows us that reverses are likely. And that the ordinary things of life where we do see God work and do see God move, they're to be celebrated. They're to be rejoiced in. Now the ultimate reversal of all of our darkness will come once and for all when Jesus returns. We're not told that all things are going to get better instantly. They will one day be better instantly when Christ returns, but in the meantime, we know that God is working things together for the good of those who love him, as Josh Revis talked about in his fantastic sermon from Job last week. Hard to understand, hard to grasp, and the Psalms aren't afraid to acknowledge that. They're not afraid to admit that. They're not pretending that everything is okay. But they also show us that the ultimate reversal here on this earth before Christ returns is understanding that life with God never came with the promise of ease or perfection or utopia. But it is a life that can be happy if we're in his word and if we actually are delighting in that. Because then we begin to understand the greatest blessing of God is actually God himself. But that can happen in the midst of tears, in the midst of darkness. And God doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. He gives us himself. He gives us his word. He gives us our church and people to walk through us with us during these darkest times. The third psalm is one of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what has he done in my personal history? Like the hymns are like kind of big picture, all is great, yay God. The thanksgiving psalms are, God, thank you for delivering me. Like, yes, we're corporate, yes, we're a people, but God, you saved my soul. Like, you, you, led, you led me to you. Like, you are my shepherd, and I rejoice in that. And then we see gospel glimpses and understandings throughout the Psalms. And by gospel glimpses and understandings, I mean kind of foreshadows of Christ pointing us to the Messiah. This is many, many years before Christ would come, before the Bethlehem manger would be full. We see these things. For you are not a God, this is Psalm 5, who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. Like, be not mistaken. God cannot have sin in his presence. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. He's not mixing words here. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. Those of you who care about justice, and all Christians should, all Christians should care about issues of justice. We can take full confidence knowing that God is just and will have the final say of justice. Like there's a real place called hell where real people go. Like ultimately, God is the one who will receive justice and, and execute justice. He goes, but, but I, I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down towards your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Now, how can that happen? Does this person think that they're perfect and everybody else is sinners? Like, has he never done any? Does this person never done anything evil before? This writer? Uh, how can you make this claim? Well, this person is pointing towards the reality 
of a righteousness that must come from God. He's making it clear that sinners on their own cannot stand in your presence. They, They will be punished. He says, Lord, leave me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me. As in God, I'm depending on you to do all the work. I'm depending on you to be the one that allows me to stand up straight and to be able to bow before you. Well, how does that happen? Christ is our righteousness. Jesus died in our place. It's pointing towards the salvation that is to come. See, Paul uses part of Psalm 5 in Romans 3 as part of his argument that both Jews and Gentiles are under the power of sin. This psalm declares that you come before God only through, verse 7, the abundance of your steadfast love and your righteousness. So the way that God will lead them to walk in the way that is morally straight is dependent on his love to do that. Righteous recognize the only way to walk in righteousness is through the power of God that is supplied by Christ and then filled by the Holy Spirit. We see salvation when the Psalms speak of salvation from enemies. They really point to our salvation through Christ from the ultimate evils of Satan's sin and death. By means of the resurrection, God the Father delivered Jesus from his enemies. And thankfully, that's the basis of our ultimate deliverance. Psalm 22-1. Maybe you've heard this before if you've ever studied your Bible around Good Friday time, maybe did a reading around the crucifixion of Christ. This is the psalmist years and years before this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some translations say, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandon me why have you forsaken me now david didn't write this just so jesus would have something to say he was actually experiencing this himself and struggling with the same thing david felt it he felt abandoned by god but he was wrong because of god's covenant he had never abandoned Jesus said it and felt it. And it actually was true. He was forsaken so that we would not be, but then vindicated through his resurrection. Heather Morton wrote this The songbook of God's people is uniquely designed to transform our fears into vivid prayers that lead us into the presence and peace of God. Laura Fabricki writes this, in all their bracing reality, the Psalms offer companionship in suffering and an instructive mirror that shows us who we are and points us the way out of ourselves and back into life. The events, and she wrote this right around all the, when things were really heated politically and, and when the, there's, a, there's a really intense things going on racially, and there still are in our country, but like really in the height of it all. The events of the past two weeks, she wrote, have reminded me how fear takes me deep into myself. And those of you who are still living your lives completely controlled by fear, there's not judgment but a word for you here. It fills my vision with me 
in a time of collective fear and anxiety, believers need a way out of ourselves and back into life. We need an expansive vision, she writes. One that reveals this broken world as our Father's world, which will someday be made new. One that sees Christ seated victorious on his throne at God's right hand. The Psalms don't just gesture to this reality, they usher us into it. Plead with God to deliver you on the basis of his promises. Rest in his covenant faithfulness to his people. Rejoice that God eternally keeps the terms of his own law perfectly. Remember that he has given you life in himself according to his word. And his word is true. The true word of God shows us this in his name is Jesus Christ. So the Psalms instruct us of where we are to go. In our moments of praise, in our times of lament, in our times of thanksgiving, we're to go as the covenant people to the covenant making and keeping God over and over again. And 150 chapters in this book point us over and over to the God who is with us, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, and always keeps his promises. But the reality is the Lord cannot be your shepherd unless the shepherd is your Lord. So if you're here today and you never trusted in Christ before, like darkness has been your friend, but you have no way out of it, or even wonderful things have happened, but you have nothing, no one to turn to, no one to thank besides fate or besides luck or right place at the right time or whatever it could be. The reality is before any of those things, we are sinners that stand before a God who won't let sin go unpunished. But the great news is God has given us the solution, the remedy, the way, not just to escape, the way of life, that with Christ. So if you're here today and you want to put your trust in the Lord, Actually, put your faith in Jesus Christ. We're told that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him won't perish, will have everlasting life. Isn't that incredible news? Incredible news. I'd love for you to be able to read the Psalms in a different way. As one who's now experienced them and can live them out to the glory of God. We have some more in our service. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, and we're also going to sing another song, uh, but before that, I just want you to make a decision like right where you're sitting there. I'm not going to leave here today without talking to someone. We have a care room out in the lobby. There's a big sign that says care above it. Make it as simple as possible. There's folks that you just walk in, they'll be waiting for you, you can have a conversation with them today about what it actually means to trust in Jesus, to actually be a Christian, to actually follow the Lord. They'll give you a Bible. So why would you miss that opportunity? Why would you walk out of these doors today and miss the opportunity to truly have life with God. I know this is our family worship Sunday. We have kids in here today. A lot of kids are always welcome in here. We have a kids ministry. It's fantastic. But we send our elementary school kids once a month in here on, on for family worship day. If you're, you're a kid today and you never maybe talked to your parents before about what it means to trust in Christ, to actually believe in Jesus for yourself and be forgiven of your sins, talk to them about that today. Say, I, I want to go talk about that right now. Like, I want to talk about that how awesome that would be if you made a decision to trust in Christ today on Family Worship Day here. So let's pray together. Let's stand. And then we will sing some good news. Father, we are grateful for your grace. We're thankful for the Psalms.
And in those type of psalms, thanksgiving and hymns and lament, we know that you're there for all of it. That in Christ you are for us. So that no one can be against us. That our enemies are being taken down day by day, moment by moment, by our good God. Those enemies of Satan, sin, and death. Lord, we're thankful the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, and therefore we are too. So I ask that we'll be people who are honest about our our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, and we're also mindful and certain of the God who delivers and keeps his promises, and that one day we'll make all things new. So those here today who can claim that darkness is their friend, their only friend, Lord, I ask you to lead them out of that today. Show them even in their darkness that you are there. You're the covenant keeper, the promise-keeping God. That promise is you will never leave us nor forsake us. Those who don't know you, I ask that you put upon someone's heart today in this room to trust in you, to give their life to Christ. Lord, I pray for this gathering. We lift it up to you. We ask that we can believe the things that we read from your word. We can actually treasure your word in our hearts. This great lamp into our feet and light into our path. 